Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. Uh, and then if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Take that one. Read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Hey, man. Hey, we're so glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to uh, preach a message today uh, with the theme of the weekend. Uh, so look at somebody and say, uh, Happy Labor Day weekend. <clears throat> look at them so you clearly got your priorities in order. Being here on Sunday, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, don't tell anyone who's not here and they're vacationing this weekend, don't tell them I said that. Okay, and uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left. You can find it much faster. Or you can download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. You'll find that. Uh, if you're watching on the online campus, uh, there's a tab there. You can just hit Bible, and it will drop down for you. We're so glad that if you are joining us on the online campus, we're so glad that you are gathering with us. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. The church, the ecclesia, is the gathering of the people of God. Amen? And so it doesn't matter when or where, it just matters that you gather, amen? And uh, so I want you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we are going to look at verse 16, and then I'm going to quote another passage to you in a sermon that I'm entitled simply, Work. Look at verse 16, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask you for your grace today that you would help us in all things 
uh, help this preacher, uh, help my heart, help my mind, uh, help me deliver with humility and with grace um, as a broken, sinful man trying to communicate to broken, sinful people who this Savior is. And I thank you that you would help us in all things as we seek to be ambassadors for you. Let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, How many of you are excited to be off work tomorrow? That, 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 that just, you, you thought that, some of you thought that was a trick, right? Because I know the enthusiasm. How, how many are excited to be off work tomorrow? Yeah, amen. Um, how many of you have big plans? That's why you're here, right? So glad you're here, right? Man, I was thinking, what could I share today? And I want to share just briefly on the, the idea of work as we're thinking about Labor Day weekend and, and the whole, um, our entire culture and our country takes this day and we, we take a day off and we think about workers and we think about those who labor, those who serve. And, and so our minds are kind of set on that. But I started thinking about what is Work. What is this thing that we call work? I'm going to work, or I just got off of work. Man, I'm tired of working. Uh, I'm done with work. How often is this word work in our vocabulary? How often do we talk about work and yet not really fully understanding or really wrestled with what is work? And What is my work? What am I called to do? What is meaningful work? What is just getting the job done? What's going through the motions? What's going to work to pay the bills, to provide for my family? Is it a means to an end or is it actually where I find meaning? And then some of us can be caught up in our work. Pastor Rick last week talked about even as a pastor, 40 some years of being uh, addicted to his work, being a slave to uh, work, being a slave to success and, and, and constantly thinking about work. But what is work? Is work the energy that I uh, put forth in doing a certain activity? Is that, is that what work is according to science? What, what amount of work does it take to move uh, the lectern? What, what, what amount of work does it take to move this stool? How much work uh, is exerted when I run a marathon? How, what is work? And what does the Bible say about work? And is work a good thing or a bad thing. And I bet if we begin to take a survey around this room and we were to simply ask that question, is work good or bad? We would be extremely divided, friends. And depending on your station of life, depending on what job that you have that provides you the ability to work, you may have a different perspective about Work and we've been in this series on prayer for the past few weeks, and I thought I would hit, uh, I would uh, kind of shift gears, talk about work today as we get ready for our next series, which is um, next week, and it's one of the largest 
books of the Bible, and it's in the beginning of the book. So next week, we're going to start in the, the beginning of the book, right? And it's this book called Genesis, and uh, that's scary, okay? And, uh, and we're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to talk about the beginning. See, this, the problem with this book, I think sometimes we've done people a disservice when you're like, you just got to read the book, and you hand somebody this book, and they start in the beginning, and they, they start reading this book because you, you usually start a book in the beginning, right? And then you read this book from the beginning and you're like, what? Right? And you get one book in and you get to about Leviticus and you're like, I don't think we should read this book anymore, right? Because the reality is, is this is a library of books. It's 66 books all put together telling the story of the people of God and their relationship with God. And ultimately, the New Testament tells us that the entire book finds its answer and its meaning in the person of Jesus. The story is actually summed up in the passage that I just read, that from the beginning we were far from God and that through Christ God is reconciling himself to us and to the world. Meaning reconcile, meaning putting it back together. Putting, the, putting it back the way it was originally designed. See, that's why Genesis is not the oldest book, but it is the first book. Because you should start the story from the beginning. And if you were to just read just two-thirds of the book, you would read, I got close, uh, if you were to read just before the New Testament, you might read this book and go, what then shall we do? What is happening? If this whole book starts from the beginning and the, the, the start of the book is telling me that there is humanity, and humanity was given goodness, and humanity was given pleasure. This place called Eden literally means unadulterated pleasure, unfiltered. Everything your heart could imagine, that was the Garden of Eden. It wasn't like your garden. It wasn't a back. Sometimes I think what happens, we have these views of God and that we think that Eden was probably a small little backyard like it would be for a dog. And, he, and like, a, uh, like a large dog in a small backyard, God put a stake in the middle of the yard and said, don't touch it. And he's like, what do you mean don't touch it, right? He's like, don't, don't even get near it. Don't eat of this tree. And that's how we think. We, we think that Adam and Eve were, were in this small little garden with nothing to do and nothing to eat, and all their option was was this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and yet God was malicious in putting something in front of them that they would want and then tell them they can't have it. Can I just tell you that if your view of God makes him seem as though... He is out to get you. 
that he is malicious and he is teasing you and he is trying to keep you from goodness, then you have a poor view of who God is. If you think that you are the most loving, gracious, and if you were in charge, all people would have all that they desire and all people would have goodwill towards others. If you were the one in charge, let me tell you, you have too high view of yourself. And yet, what we need to understand is that God wants our good. Like a good father, he wants goodness for his children, and he is trying to keep his children from harm. He's trying to keep his children on the right path, seeking goodness for them, joy for them. He's trying to keep them from harm. How many good parents do we have in here today? And how often do good parents say, stop, don't, don't touch it, don't get near it. Hey, don't play over there. You're going to get, I told you, you were going, oh, they're crying. Why did you let me do that? I told you no a thousand times. (laughs) And how often do we ignore the commands of God and then at the end go, God, why did you allow this to happen? See, if you think that the conversation with you is different than the conversation with Adam and Eve, it is not different. It is an ancient, old conversation that we tend to move towards rebellion. We tend to move towards things that we cannot handle, and we desire evil, although we are surrounded by good. And so the world has been fractured. You remember the great prophet, Dr. Seuss, don't you? And in the Lorax, the onceler uh, is asked by the Lorax, he says, which way does a tree fall? And the onceler answers, well, a tree falls down. And the Lorax says, no, a tree doesn't fall down. A tree falls the way it leans, so be careful which way you lean. See, the Bible is telling me a story about since Adam and Eve, sin has fractured, or in other words, put a bent towards sin in us that Romans would tell me that the thing that I want to do that's not what I do the thing that I hate the thing that I know will bring pain the thing that I'll be disgusted and and full of shame once I move towards that once I'll be embarrassed by those things that I know I shouldn't have done I find myself doing those things and let me tell you that is me included Just, just, just me and this guy, right? <laughs> right? We find ourselves moving. I, I know, and it's almost like a law. We've been talking about this. It's almost like a law of nature that I find myself, and here's the idea, is that nature has been fractured. This is not by design. Nature, our spirit, our spirit man, our soul, whatever way you want to describe the thing that drives us, the thing that makes us human beings is moving away from goodness and towards evil. And yet you can find that oftentimes those who are trying to socially engineer our culture have their anthropology off because they think if we can just get more educated and if we get just get more resources. But some of the most educated and resourceful people can be some of the most wicked and divisive people on the planet. So it must not be education or money. It must be something in the human heart. 
And we've been saying this for many years. Jesus is far more concerned with the poverty of your heart than the poverty of your hand. Because one is an extension of the other. And yet this is the idea is that from the beginning the world has been fractured. It seems off. It seems bent. And then here's what 2 Corinthians begins to tell me. That God has set forth this plan of reconciliation this plan to reconcile us back to to put us back into proper working order now this seems strange and from everyone else's perspective it might seem off in other words genesis is telling me that the world was designed with goodness I mean, it even says that, and we're going to go through this, so I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to be in Genesis for 27 years. <laughs> but on, after the first day, God made things, and he said it was? And after day two, he said it was? What about day three? Four? Five? Six? Very good. That was after it was like, whoa, man. Anyways, uh preacher joke you'll get that later uh and yet he made everything good and like this cup he he made us in such a way that we could receive and be intertwined with him that his spirit could live with us and in us that we were spirit beings and, and we didn't have the fractured sense of uh, of flesh that we have now that our sinful desires were hungry we're thirsty we're tired we're lonely Th- these things that cause sinful behaviors or a deviation from God's plan and begins to go against others. Oftentimes sinful things are things that hurt others, not just myself. And you'll find fractured relationships and you can trace that back into the trajectory of your life. Did I do it God's way or my way? And oftentimes what I find is my way is the thing that breaks. My thing is the way that fractures relationships. My way is the way that hurts people. God's way is the way that brings people together and yet here's what's happened sin turned the world upside down and here's what happens is is like this cup this cup is designed in such a way to drink the best coffee in the valley that's for free in the lobby whatever right and and yet this cup is designed for something to be inside of it, to be filled with it. But if this cup is upside down, I can pour liquid all I want. Maybe some will be caught on the rim of the cup, but it will never be used to its design. It will always be empty. Now think about the human condition. Think, think about those of us that we think if, if the world is, is just by random and the world is not by design and we are just uh, a cause of happenstance and, and here we are and the only thing that, can, uh, that you can find meaning in, if you could even use that word, because those who purely come from a naturalistic worldview are are, uh, timid in implying meaning to our reality. Yet, 
looking and searching for meaning seems to be one of the New York Times bestsellers. It tends to be what our Instagram posts, look, how can I find meaning? How can I find hope? How can I, how, how can I help myself in finding purpose? So uh, if, if I was to think about human beings and yet we're fractured and we're, we're not put in, in right standing with God, See, that's the idea of righteousness, what we talked about in the past. Righteousness is this big churchy word that means to be in right standing with God. And and yet human beings are unrighteous, not in right standing with God. And so here's what, you know this to be true. You know that there are people who have everything, who, who, who have all the money that you might like. They drive all the cars that you might like to drive. They got houses for their cars. I don't know if you've seen any people like this. You know, it's a playroom in California, right? And yet, and yet they could have everything. We look on tabloids. We look on social media. We, we, we see celebrity after celebrity checking themselves into rehab, checking themselves into therapy. And, 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 and it seems as though that you can pour and pour and pour and never be filled and completely empty. You know this to be true. That's what it's like. The world is fractured. The world is flipped upside down. Now there's this story in the New Testament. There's this story of the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus that they went town to town proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That Jesus came, he lived, he died in our place and he did not stay dead. Three days later and he called his own shot, he pulled off Easter and he came out of the tomb and he changed human history. And if you believe in him, what you'll find is this new reality. You'll find that there's more than meets the eye. What you've been searching for and longing for is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And it turned cultures and cities upside down. They literally said that. They said the people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These were the city leaders. These were the the people who controlled the culture. They were saying, no, 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 no. I see that this message of Jesus is beginning to change whole societies. It's changing whole cities. It's changing whole cultures. And it seems as if they've turned the world upside down. Now, here's the reality is that the world will look at the people of God and they'll say, you don't look right. Why why, why do you act like that? You you seem a little off. Why, Why is it that you forgive your coworkers when they do something wrong to you? You, you do that, right? Right? Okay. Right. Like, why, why, why is it that you're generous with your time, your talent, your treasure? Why is it that you seem to be concerned with those around you? Why is it that you don't seem preoccupied with yourself? Why is it that you seem to be concerned with other people? You seem off. You seem 
upside down. You do things a little funny. You do things off. But see, from the world's perspective, you seem upside down. But from God's perspective, you're right side up. That's why the Bible begins to say, see, you're a peculiar people. You're different. And, and, you, and you, won't, you won't look right to everybody else. But here will be the difference, is that you can actually be filled to fullness and overflowing. That actually, in what you do, you will find meaning and purpose You'll actually be able to find it in the most mundane of things, the smallest of jobs. You'll be able to find meaning in your work. You'll begin to find purpose when everyone else is frustrated, when everyone else is is mad because they, they seem to drink and drink. They're only here for more stuff. They're only here for more accolades. They're only here for success. They're only here. You're here seemingly for a different reason. And it seems as though you're called to a higher purpose and your source seems to be coming from something else. And you seem to be full of meaning and purpose. See, even to imply meaning and purpose implies design. It implies intention. See, C.S. Lewis makes this popular in his lectures in Mere Christianity. He talks about that science cannot simply explain human beings or everything around us in the form of meaning and purpose. He says, for instance, take a rock. If you were to talk about scientifically about a rock, you would just simply say, that's a rock. And you would talk maybe about the process and sediments and and, and over time how this rock formed, but you're simply just saying what is. If you were to walk outside and you were to talk about the trees outside or the the oaks out front and, and, and maybe in contrast the pepper trees over to the right. And yet you would simply, from a scientific perspective, you would say that's a tree. You'd say it's in the ground and it receives sunlight and and has nourishment from the soil and the water table and, and this is how it grows. But you would not use words like that's a good tree or a bad tree. Not from a scientific perspective. You would simply say that's a tree. The only time good and bad is, I know this to be true, is when we're talking about the, the courtyard project and we're talking about the landscape design, people begin to have some strong opinions about if pepper trees are good or bad. Right? All of a sudden now there's a sense of morality involved. There, there's a sense of hierarchy here. I like oaks, but pepper trees kick them right they make a mess right I, I don't I don't like where they're at I could do with less of them see now you can't use science to explain your reasons for it being a good tree or a bad tree because now design is in play something outside of the entity is beginning to arrange it put it in order 
to, to take what is seemingly chaos and beginning to order it in a specific design that is pleasing and aesthetically pleasing to the eye, inviting for those to come seek its shade, to, to play around it, to climb on its branches. Maybe you go, that's a good climbing tree, or, or that's not a good climbing tree. The only time you begin to talk about morality is when there's a sense of purpose, because there's design from a designer. So then, do you ever have the feeling of, I should do this and not this? Do you ever think that was a good thing to do or that was a bad thing to do? Do you ever think that was being a good friend? That was being a bad friend. That was being a good boss? That was being a bad boss. That was being a good leader? That was being a bad leader. That was being a good father? That was being a bad father. All of a sudden, morality's in place. See, human beings are the only thing in all of creation that we don't simply describe what is, we describe him based on what he ought to be. You you ought to be a good friend. You ought to be a good boss. You ought to be a good leader. You ought to be a good dad. Well, then morality is in place, which means there's purpose. That means you have a trajectory. You, you have a way in which you should go. And when you go in a way that's bent or off, if you go in a way that's not so righteous, then you go, wait, that's not the way I should go. I should go this way. All of a sudden, purpose is involved. If purpose is involved, then that means design is involved. And if design is involved, you have a designer that's outside of you. You have a God that's transcendent above you. And that means he has an intention for you. He has purpose for you. That's why you even have a sense of morality, of right and wrong. If there's morality, then there has to then there is purpose and if there is purpose there is design if there is design there is a designer there is a god who has intention and purpose and design for you and that's good news amen so then i have to ask the question what am i designed to do ephesians 2:10 says this you've been handcrafted you've been put together you've been designed You've been handcrafted to do good works. Look at somebody and say, get to work. <laughs> you know, no one wanted to say that because you knew someone was going to say it back to you. Look at them. Say, get to work. You've been handcrafted in order to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you. So then the question that I have to ask, because the argument is solid, I am designed with purpose because I do have a sense of morality. I, I, I do have a sense of right and wrong. I, I do feel there's purpose and meaning in the universe. Then there must be a designer. So then, God, what would you have me do? What is my work? What have you called me to do? From now on, then, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Does it matter what my skin tone is? 
It doesn't matter my background, what I look like. It doesn't matter what is on the surface. It matters what's below the surface. Or in other words, I don't see people simply as a vehicle that is a flesh vehicle, that it's this empty being that's just traveling through with my bones and my skin and my body. I'm not just a body. I'm beyond that. I'm more than that. And Christ helps me understand that. But it's so easy to just consider people just their body just their flesh you you know how i know that's true is we hold grudges way longer than we should we want people to handle us and treat us differently than we handled them and yet we see them on the surface we simply see their actions and we don't see beyond that he says so then see beyond the surface see beyond Don't don't just judge people based on what they look like or even their behaviors. See them as much more. See them as designed by a designer. See them as human beings who maybe once were lost, once were blind like you. Paul's going to say this, that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. We once lived that way. We once walked like the walking dead, zombies eating our fill into the gut. It goes and out the belly. Man, never getting their fill. He says, this is how we lived. You too once were dead. So don't regard each other just by the flesh, see beyond. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, they're saying we once saw him, we ate with him, we were with him, but no longer do we regard him uh, that way because he raised from the dead. He showed us something beyond what is our mortal bodies. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, Mark Thompson has helped me over the years with this, and since he's in the room, I have to give him props for this. Right? And he says there's some debate about this, and I think here's why we say it this way, is that this passage, a better translation or rendering of this passage would be that the old has been rendered powerless. Right, because how many of you have been following Jesus for some time and you're still aware of the old you? Comes up from time to time, right? And you're hyper aware there are two yous that live in you, right? There, and sometimes you're, you, you ever get in a moment where you're surprised you didn't act like you? Like, man, I handle that way better than I used to, right? Man, I, I, I dealt with that like, like I normally, that, that would have got me. Uh, normally I wouldn't have been as patient. Normally I would have flew off the handle. Normally I would have succumbed to temptation, but it seems as though I'm growing in Christ. So behold, you are a new creation. The old has been rendered powerless. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. What does that mean? What it means is God reconciled himself to us and what he's saying and and as uh, the king james would say be ye reconciled to god god has has turned his face towards us he's not looking away from us he's not looking away in shame he's not he's not ashamed of you and looking away how do we know this because on the cross god turned his face away from jesus jesus says my god my god why have you forsaken me so christ took on what it meant to be forsaken. God took on our shame. Christ bore our shame. Why? That's why he finishes this passage. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. He made him who knew no shame to be shame. He made him who knew no guilt to be guilty. He made him who did no wrong to take on all our wrong so that he could reconcile himself to us so that he wouldn't be ashamed of us. He paid the debt. And so now we have the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. Bring people. And through your life as ambassadors, turn people towards the message of reconciliation. What is that? What is the work of reconciliation? What is the work that we are called to do? Well, one, he says here, not counting our trespasses against us. Now think about in all the things in life, how often we keep a ledger with our relationships. Let me just give you the prime example that happens. Husbands and wives. I did the dishes. I mowed the lawn. I took the kids to school. I go to work. I did this. Am I talking to the wrong room? We do it in all kinds of relationships. We do it with friendships. Well, they owe me one. I'm going to call in a favor. Oh, man, fool me once. Fool me twice. How often do we keep a ledger? How often do we look around? And, and even based on what we think, our preconceived notions, that's what he says, regard no one according to the flesh. We already have preconceived notions about people, where they're from, what accent they have, what color skin that they have. We will project onto people based on what they look like, and we'll act as though they're working from a negative. Come on, this is the culture in which we live. We keep score. We keep ledgers. And yet, we who have had a mountain of debt canceled for us. We who have been forgiven, how much more should we forgive others? See, work is something that we do. Work is the thing that we go to. Work, I think about this idea of work, even in This term is what we use to describe any bit of energy that moves from potential to kinetic. 
any bit. And from a scientific perspective, we talk about work. Work is the thing in which we expense from potential to kinetic. If I move this, I've done work. If I pick this up, I've done work. Now think about that term. That term is anything that you do. Everything. Now here's what the enemy has lied to us. And I think the Labor Day weekend helps us. We think work is a means to an end. We think work is either good or bad. And most of the time, weeks like, weekends like this are a reminder of how bad we think it is. I got to go work. Got to put in the time. And yet, do you know that work came before sin? Work came before the fall. In the garden, before things went south, God gave Adam and Eve work. What was that work? It was ordering things, putting things in its proper place, or setting things just right. Doing what God does, which is in the creation story, is taking chaos and putting it to order. How does that practically flesh out? Colossians 3 says this. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, whatever job that you have, whatever tasks that you have, don't do it unto men, do it unto God. Also, now that changes the perspective. Now all of a sudden, the job that you have is not something you have to go to, it's something that you have an opportunity to go to. Now all of a sudden, the people you work with are not just characters in your movie. It's all about you, you narcissist. I'm just the southern preacher in your movie. But like, now all of a sudden, in that, whatever you do, do it with all your heart unto the Lord. And what you'll find, that work that you do and how you do it and how you present yourself and how you do it not begrudgingly. You don't, you don't do it with a bad attitude. You, do, you, don't, you don't do it because you have to. You do it because you have the opportunity. God's gifted you with it. And you thank God for it with praise and with worship and honor as you shoe that horse. As you farm, as you design landscape, 
as you begin to lead men and women, as you teach children, as you begin to care for people, whatever that is, do it not unto men. Because if you do, when their flesh gets in the way, when they don't act the way you think they ought to act, but you don't always act the way you ought to act, don't regard anyone according to the flesh. But know that you're there to reconcile. And you do it with all your heart. Be the best worker you can be. Be the best at your job. Be the best manager. Be the best custodian. Be the best engineer. Be the best CPA. Be the best sales. Be the best. Not for men or accolades, but to the glory of God that you may be an ambassador of Christ. And I had to learn this. It wasn't easy. Man, there are times we don't want to go to work. There are times we don't want to get out of bed. There's times we don't want to do it. And you go, where's my motivation? The glory of God. And what you'll find, God will put you in places with people. And he'll use you. Man, I remember the one day I did not want to go to work. The, if there was one day you do not want to go to work, it's the day after you get married. I just, my wife wanted to be married on November 14th, and that in 2010 fell on a Sunday. And because I listened to my father-in-law, my fiance, or when I was asking for her hand in marriage and, and I didn't have a job at the time and I was going to school and he's like, yeah, no. So we ain't got a job. And I got a job at UPS in Louisville, Kentucky. And at UPS, we worked in this logistics kind of warehouse where we were working with Sprint cell phones and and we were putting things back together and it was called Rebox and they would turn in refurbished phones and I'd had this job for a few, a couple months but I was on a 90 day temporary position and that 90 days was up in December but I was getting married in November and I couldn't miss a single day of work, a single day. And man, and my character before this, man, there were jobs I just didn't, in college, I, I didn't want that job anymore. I just didn't show back up. I didn't have a good work ethic. I didn't know how to work. I didn't know why I was doing it. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do it. Don't you judge me. I've had this job a long time. All right. Been the pastor here for a long time. Okay. But I had to learn it. And I had to realize I, I wasn't just doing this for me. I was serving my new bride. So that morning, after my, my Jeep Cherokee had been decorated with just married on it, and my buddy Damien, my, my buddy Damien, uh, he was a, a tall black man from inner city Chicago, and I'm a short white man from eastern Kentucky. And I picked Damien up 
on our way to work in a Jeep Cherokee <laughs> with just married on the back. And when we rolled into the gates at UPS to sign our badge, let me tell you, they saw the ministry of reconciliation. <laughs> Man, I, I tell you, what, what, a, what a day. And it was one of the, the funniest stories. Me and Damien laughed the whole way in. I picked him up. He would take a bus 40 minutes to drive the last 15 minutes with me. And when I pulled up to him, he's like, I'm not getting in that Jeep. <laughs> I said, come on, Damien, let's go. Now I have one of the best stories you could have. <laughs> but I realized in that job, there are people that I met. There are people that are part of. There are people that I befriended. There are people that God put in my life. You have to ask the question, is the work about you? Or is the work about what God's called you to do for those around you? Man, what if we woke up to that? And we realized we wear the brand. We wear Christ. We put on Christ. We are his ambassadors. And how we work matters. So tomorrow, rest. But realize you're still going to work with your families your barbecues with the people around you never get to put it off you're never off work you're always working for the glory of God and the good of others will you pray with me gracious heavenly father we love you we thank you for who you are and who you are to us we ask for your grace that you help us to realize the work you've called us to do to love and care, to be ambassadors for you, to put things back in working order. Let us be reconciled to you, God, and let us carry the message of reconciliation in a culture that is broken, in a community that needs you. Let us be the ones first to forgive the mountain of debt, to forgive others as you've forgiven us you've canceled our debt you made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be in right standing with you that you may fill us to overflowing that others may taste and see that the lord is good we thank you and we praise you and let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley and everyone said amen, amen. will you give jesus one more hand clap of praise